Welcome to episode 47 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. So glad to have you along for the ride today. Hey, how'd you find us? There's lots of great ways to find the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Here's the easiest. Hit that subscribe button. Go into iTunes or Google Play. Hit subscribe to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And whenever we do a new episode, it'll just pop up right up on your phone or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can check out the new episode. We put it up on Syracuse.com as well. You can find it on social media. So however you filtered your way here to episode 47, we greatly appreciate that. We got some good, meaty Syracuse athletics talk today. Mike Waters, Donna DeToda. Terrific beat reporters, in my humble opinion. I'm biased, but I think most would agree. For the Syracuse University basketball team, they're going to hang with me today, and we're going to talk plenty of SU hoops with the season here. It has arrived, and it is a season of high expectations. Five starters back, exciting new players like Jalen Carey, Buddy Beheim, and Elijah Hughes, and high expectations for a team that it seems like every time I see a new preseason ranking come out, Syracuse gets higher and higher on that list. So Donna, Mike, and I will have a little roundtable on SU Hoops and what we expect to see from the upcoming season. Now, as it stands, both the football and the basketball team, and to throw in the women's basketball team as well, are all ranked, and that's never happened before. Now, the basketball teams have yet to play a game whereas the Syracuse University football team has certainly been playing and find themselves higher and higher in the rankings themselves. Lucky number 13 for Syracuse football as they find themselves there in both the AP and USA Today coaches poll. Now, we're taping this on Monday, November 5th, so we haven't seen the latest college football playoff rankings yet. Those come out on Tuesday, but last week, that was the highest ranking that Syracuse had at 19, and they're surely going to be higher this week when the new playoff rankings come out on Tuesday night. This is incredible. This is a Syracuse football team that is quite simply playing with house money right now. They are 7-2, and two, which means they've assured themselves a winning season no matter what happens the rest of the year. This is the first time that Syracuse has had seven wins in a regular season since 2012. If and when they get their next victory, that would be eight wins in a regular season for the first time since 2001. They're ranked overall for the first time since 2001, and that 13th ranking in the AP and USA Today coaches poll this week, their highest since 1998. Syracuse football comes in as a 21-point favorite over Louisville in a Friday night game at the Carrier Dome. So while all that has been accomplished, why stop there? Look what's ahead of Syracuse. Opportunity. Friday, Louisville, Carrier Dome. Louisville's awful. They have been outscored in their last two games, 133-51. to Perhaps you saw that Clemson, the same Clemson team that Syracuse was one drive away from defeating at home, dropped 77 points. That's a 7 and a 7 next to each other against Louisville this past week. Bobby Petrino's on the hot seat, and the Cardinals are a mess. Syracuse will take nothing for granted there, but if they come in and play their game in what should be a packed and loud carrier dome, they'll be 8-2. and two. Then it's the big one against Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium. What a national stage this will put the orange on. Facing a ranked Notre Dame team who, if they take care of business, will still be in the college football top four playoff ranking when these two meet in the Bronx coming up. There is a distinct possibility. It was interesting that ESPN's college game day chose to go to Boston College this week as they host Clemson, but there's a distinct possibility that ESPN's college game day could be at Yankee Stadium for this game. Does Lee Corso fit in the auto suit? I think he does. 
Can Syracuse win that game? It's not going to be easy, particularly with Ian Book in that Notre Dame offense. The Syracuse defense will have to step up and make plays, particularly get some turnovers. But the thing that keeps Syracuse in every single game they play is this offense. And that's what impressed me about this past week. Bad as Wake Forest was defensively, they were literally one of the worst teams in college football, 124th. They came in bound and determined to shut down the Syracuse passing game. And that was a good strategy because while Syracuse has had more rushing touchdowns this year, overall their running game has been kind of average. But Mo Neal, Dante Strickland, Eric Dungy, Jarvian Howard... Even big old 280-pound Chris Elmore stepped up. Five rushing touchdowns for the Orange against the Demon Deacons. And that's the difference that Eric Dungy brings to the table. I'm as excited about Tommy DeVito's future as the quarterback at Syracuse football as much as anybody. I call for DeVito to replace Dungy in the lineup. And I was wrong about that because Dungey came out and proved that he should be the quarterback of this team. Not only with his performance against NC State, 411 yards in the air, but the dynamic he brings to the field that Tommy DeVito just doesn't at this point is the ability to escape, to run the football, and to make something out of nothing. The way that Wake Forest shut down the Syracuse passing game this past week it wouldn't be hard to envision a scenario where Tommy DeVito was taking more sacks, throwing the ball away, or perhaps creating some turnovers, forcing some passes that just were not there this week. Eric Dungey, a number of times, had plenty of time to throw the football against Wake Forest, but just didn't see a receiver open downfield. So what did he do? He ran the football. Dino Babers encouraged him to run the football again. And while that's always a risk when Eric takes off and runs, he certainly is smarter about it this year. He's sliding. He's getting out of bounds. He's recognizing when those opportunities are there. It goes back to one of the old expressions in football. You take what the defense gives you, right? So Eric Dungy did that, and we'll see what he can do, not only against Louisville and Notre Dame, but Syracuse finishes the season at Boston College. That will certainly not be an easy game as well. We mentioned BC, ranked themselves. They get Clemson this week. They can really run the football and have one of the best running backs in college football in A.J. Dillon. So eight, nine, ten wins, no matter what Syracuse gets the rest of the year. Syracuse fans are surely enjoying this ride. And you know, what a time to be alive when you look in the rankings, and there's Syracuse at 13. And while the chance is an outside one, the fact that Syracuse could just keep swimming, just keep winning games, and kind of put a monkey wrench into the college football playoff ranking, particularly if they beat Notre Dame, is exciting. And you know what, Syracuse fans? You deserve this. It's been a long time coming. The patience through the Greg Robinson era seeing what Doug Marone could do to get Syracuse back to respectability, seeing Scott Schaefer break that down in a sense, and now you're at a point where Dino Babers came in, he told you to close your eyes, envision this. He told you to imagine this. He told you to have faith, belief without evidence. Well, the evidence just keeps piling up for the Syracuse football team. Even this past week is something they really needed. They had not won in the month of November under Dino Babers. That is a box they can now check. Eric Dungy still healthy in the month of November. That is a box they now can check. Syracuse had not won on the road in eight straight ACC games. That a box they now can check. And that's a good one for Syracuse to gain some momentum because Friday is the last home game of the season. Notre Dame is a neutral stadium. There'll certainly be a lot of Syracuse fans there, but this is Notre Dame. 
There's going to be two to one Irish fans there to the Syracuse fans at Yankee Stadium. Though it should be noted that Syracuse sold out their allotment of tickets for that game. And then you finish on the road at Boston College, and then we await what bowl game the Orange will have. But that's a whole different conversation for a different day. Now, I wanted to note this before we get to Mike Waters and Donna DeTota and talk some Syracuse basketball. I see these tweets and messages from Syracuse fans more than ever, and that is, will Syracuse pay Dino Babers? The inevitable pay Dino tweets come every time Syracuse does something successful. Now, I have no inside information on this, but call it an educated guess. Syracuse is going to do everything they can to keep Dino Babers here. This is life with a good coach. This is life with a coach who came in and turned around Syracuse football. That will be noticed around college football. Well, hey, if that guy can turn around Syracuse, can he turn around our program? Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel, two national college football writers, recently linked Dino to the Maryland job. Now, that was just speculation saying that Maryland would be wise to talk to Dino about their job. That's not a job that Dino Babers is going to leave Syracuse for. But what about USC? What about some of the other programs that will have head coaching openings as every year presents? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, who knows how many jobs at the major Division I FBS level will be open. Will anybody want Dino to come coach their football team? Will they be willing to pay him and his staff more money to do it? And is it something that Dino Babers, at 57 years old, wants to do again? uproot his family, and move somewhere else. That's all in his head, and I can't get in there. But I can assure you from what I know that John Wildhack and Syracuse University will do everything they can to prevent that, and Dino Babers wants to continue to build what he's doing here. So while I understand the anxiety from Syracuse football fans, my advice to you would be sit back and enjoy this and stop worrying about what Dino's going to do. Now let's talk some hoops. Mike Waters, Donna DeTota, Syracuse basketball beat reporters join me for a little roundtable on the upcoming season. Well, we are here with the beat reporters, Syracuse.com, Syracuse Post Standard. Two out of three of us root for a world championship baseball team. One of us roots for a 47-win baseball team. Mike Waters, Donna DeTota, welcome back to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And talk about a cheap shot. Cheap shot. Facts. <laughs> Facts. Like, you know what my favorite thing is, man, Let me talk to let me talk, ball. Let me talk to a world championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That picture of Andrew Benatendi making that great catch. Oh yeah, yeah. In the background is the standings. The standings. Yes, yes. On the monster, and there's Baltimore with 47 wins. I'm surprised we even made the photo. <laughs> Congratulations. In a way, I didn't go to the parade. By the way, you didn't, or you I did? I did. I went to the parade. How was the parade? It was fantastic, as you would imagine. Where a parade were you? Would be. Uh, I was on uh, Bro- Bro- Boylston. Boylston, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was there when people were throwing beers. I was going to say you weren't throwing beers. The World Series. No, I wasn't throwing beers. beers but you know, I, I everything I read about it made it seem like they were like pel- trying to pelt the players with the beers. And really, what they were doing was like lobbing the beers up there so the players ah, could catch them and either shake okay. up the can and spray people or chug the beers. Just another Wednesday in Boston, right? Yes. Maybe one day you'll get to go to one of these, Mike. I don't know if it's for the Orioles, though. You might have to pick another team. Do you have another you team? You can't pick another Three team. Four or... How are the Bills doing, Brenton? Good good uh, return volume. <laughs> yeah. Do they still have a team? Am I still watching them? Yeah, how's Those Nathan Peterman working out oh, for you there? He's, he's great. He's, he's fantastic. <laughs> On to other things. Uh, thanks for joining us, by the way. It's great oh, to yes. have you guys back. The season is here. 
Life is good for SU sports right now. We got a football team that's actually ranked higher than the basketball team. Wow. For once. This is the first time ever, by the way. Now, neither basketball teams played a game, but it's significant. Football, men's, women's basketball all ranked at the same time. That's never happened before. So That's pretty amazing. Life's pretty good. Right? Never happened The women's before. team is good. I'm going to give a little plug for the women's team. They're very good. They have Don't five returning play. starters as well. Yeah, kind of unique. And that's kind of what I want, want to start. Like, how rare is it? these days for a team, especially at a high level like Syracuse, to have five starters coming back. That's incredible to think about. I'll start with you, Mike. It is. It's very rare these days because especially if you're a a power five school and if you're any good, you've got good guys on your team and these days guys leave. And, or if you're not all that good and things are going wrong, guys transfer. There's so much movement in college basketball anymore uh, for a variety of reasons that to have five starters back from a team that went to the Sweet 16 uh, is very rare. And the last time it happened at Syracuse was 2000. That's so, yeah, I'd say 18 years. That's a pretty long time. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a rarity. It'll help them this year. Experience, comfort with each other. I think we kind of answered this question in our uh, Syracuse uh, basketball preview, but Donna, who's the player that this team's going to funnel through? There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of depth. They've got pretty much everything you need covered, you know, inside play, guard play, three-point shooting, scoring. There's there's two, maybe three NBA talents on this team, but does it all flow through Tyus Battle? Is Frank Howard the guy? Like, who's the, the player this is really going to, the team's going to funnel through? Everybody's back from last year. And what I think the most interesting thing about this team is is they have a guy in Elijah Hughes who can do something that not too many players could do last year, which was get his own shot and make three-point shots. I think he is going to be a really valuable member to the team this year just because they were in desperate need of somebody who could do both of those things last year and and a, a desperate need of another person who could do that last year. And I think he is really going to be the difference maker this season. I think a lot of fans are watching Eliza Hughes and are just enamored by what he's brought to the table. But are you guys like, yep, that's what we saw in practice last year? Did you get a little sneak peek of him, you know, before this and, and kind of knew maybe this this was coming? Well, we actually, you know, we don't get to see as much practice as we used to anymore. But this is what the assistant coaches were talking to us about last year. You know, we kept hearing Elijah's doing great. They really like Elijah. And the players He's going to help. Yeah. Um, and, but then for him to step in, and I know it's just exhibition games against Division II schools, but he averaged 20 points a game in the two exhibitions, and he went 5-9 of nine from three-point range. And, you know, to Donna's point, that's stuff that they didn't really have anybody else that, that could do last year, you know, to, to make five out of nine from three-point range. Uh, you know, they, they shot the ball horribly from three-point range last year. So to, to, to bring in a guy like him, who's not just a freshman, he's basically in terms of age, and you know, it's his third year in college. Uh, he played a year at East Carolina. He's been in the SU program a year. I think he's a, a huge boost to the team. It's incredible to think about because last year this team struggled to score, as we saw. The depth issues piled up. And, Mike, I think you wrote it in, in one of your game stories that they scored more points in that LeMoyne exhibition game. And, again, mind you, it's an exhibition, and it's LeMoyne. But they scored more points in that game than they did in any regular season game a year ago. So all the requisite things you got to attach to this conversation, they stay healthy and, and everything you've got to mention. I mean, this team's going to score. It, it, they're going to score in bunches, it would seem. You would think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I would think that they were just because they have more weapons and because guys are not going to have to play 40 minutes a game. I mean, they're going to be fresher. And, you know, players will tell you that, that you know, they want to stay all the time. Yes, we play hard on every possession. But if you're playing 40 minutes a game, you're, you're not playing hard on every possession. And, and it's hard to uh, have 
maximum effort on every play. But I think if they get a little bit more rest, they will be able to be in situations where they can have maximum effort on plays. And uh, I think the scoring will be better just because I think they have more weapons. I mean, they have a guy, you know, they have Buddy. We haven't talked about Buddy, but Buddy can make threes. You know, they they were a bad three-point shooting team last year, and they were a really bad two-point shooting team last year. So they could not have really been much worse in terms of the offensive production that they got last year. And I think they're going to be better in both those situations. I hope, and I think that they probably will get the ball inside a little bit more. Um, and, and I think that Pascal is, is going to be a little bit better in there than he was. I think Barama could score in there a little bit better than he was. I think Marex certainly can score in there. I think they're going to be able to have a mu- sort of multifaceted uh, scoring attack than they did last year. And we, I haven't even talked about O'Shea, who I think is, yeah. you know, who I think is, you know, certainly an NBA prospect, and um, he can do a whole bunch of different things that are all going to be good for their team. Well, Mike Jim, yeah, you mentioned all the new guys. I yeah. agree with you. O'Shea Brissett, he's better than last year. So it's not just like adding guys. You look for guys that are going to improve, and I think O'Shea's going to be really, really good this year. Well, that's the word, and, and Jim Bayon will be the first person to tell you, and that doesn't matter if we got these standards back. They all have to improve, right? Mm-hmm. But you just mentioned even there, it seems like these players are taking that next step. How much improvement have you seen from O'Shea Brissett? Like, are we talking about a two-and-done player here? Because I think everybody is assuming he's going down that oh, I hate talking about NBA draft prospects. Um, <laughs> it's always that time but, of the year, Mike. But you just look at the way he's been shooting the ball in, in the first couple of games, and even the orange-white scrimmage. Uh, he's shooting the ball from three-point range. He's extending. Last year, he was in the low 30s from three-point range. If he can shoot from out there, man, he's a different guy. And you know the, the two-point shooting percentage that Donna mentioned – O'Shea is probably like the one guy on the team that could completely change that if he can just finish at the rim. I mean, he he was a six foot eight freshman last year who shot less than forty percent from the field. That's not good. As good as he was as a freshman with fourteen points and eight or nine rebounds a game, his shooting percentage was terrible. And if he's stronger, and if you look at him through the shoulders and upper arms, he looks bigger. So if he can like play through contact and finish, man. Yeah. He'll be smarter too this year. I mean, I think he's gonna he's gonna uh, be able. To, he, I think he understands the whole idea concept of balance when he gets inside and how to maintain his balance, how not to get knocked off his spots, and how to score better in there. He's such a good rebounder too. He's gonna get some off some stuff off the glass. Um, I just think he's he's very good, and I think he's gonna have a really good season. Yeah. He's got to oh, play sorry. through that. I'm sorry, I, I just love talking about O'Shea in this game. He's got to learn to play through that contact, and, and like last year. He wasn't quite as strong, and he'd get to the rim against a bigger guy, and he would avoid the contact. So he wouldn't draw the foul, and he would miss the shot because he was putting up a, a, a lower percentage, you know, dipsy do, you know, trying to get it around the big guy. I, I see him going through the hole this year, and if he doesn't make the shot, it's not going to count as a missed shot because he's going to draw the foul. So on that improvement front, you can see the excitement there in, in, in O'Shea's game. What do you think the the improvement will be for Tyus Battle? Now that he's gone through the NBA process, he's coming back for his junior season. I think he even said it in the offseason that I have all the answers to the test now. I mean, it's hard to top what he did last year playing all those minutes and the production that he had and how much they really relied on him. But what's the next step? for Tyus as he comes into this junior season? Well, I think one of the big things for Tyus is going to be he's not going to have to take shots that he doesn't want to take. And I think last year that was a a big thing for him. I think he was told, you know, listen, even if you're not making shots, even if you're not comfortable taking that three with two guys on you, you have to take it. We we need you to take that shot. And I think this year, um, I think he's going to be much more selective about the shots that he takes. Um, I think he still is probably the best 
creator on the team. He, you know, he could probably get his shot better than anybody else. He's got that nice step back jump shot, um, and I, I think he's going to be improved. I think he's going to be a little more efficient this year. He was their best scorer at the rim last year of of the wings and and guards. I mean, Pascal obviously the big guys were better at scoring at the rim, but I mean he was the best guy at finishing at the rim of the forwards and the and uh, the wings and the guards. And I think he's even going to get better at that this year. You know, he's a smart player, and I think he's going to be much much more efficient this year because he's not going to have to take shots that that he had to take last year. He's shown up on a lot of first team all America lists, ACC lists, you know, everywhere you look, some people feel he could be one of the best players in the country. Is he is he capable of that? I think he's very good. I I don't I don't know about first team all American to be honest. Um I think sometimes you see that happen in preseason magazines because they find the guy that averaged 20 points a game last year right. on a known team, and he's a known quantity, and he's just an easy pick. To me, it's kind of like Luke May of North Carolina, who I'm not wild about either. Um, and you know, we, we break down Luke May's game, and you see what he does against lesser teams. That's a whole reason why I don't like Luke May as much. <laughs> but it's not the same as Tyus. The other thing I think that may – might hurt Tyus in terms of best player and end of season All American teams is I don't think he's going to average nineteen and a half points per game again this year because he doesn't have to. Right. O'Shea's better. He'll be uh, Tyus will take fewer shots. He'll score fewer points, but hopefully he has a higher efficiency rating. Elijah Hughes is going to score. If they ever get Jalen Carey healthy, I think he's a dynamic offensive player. So I, I don't know. I could see Tyus's scoring average going down, but actually you get a more efficient player. And so, yeah, first team All American. I don't know. I don't think that's the goal either. Even I don't from Tyus's point of view. I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal this year is just become a better player and win. Yeah, I mean, I think he desperately wants to win. He, he's a guy who really wants to win games. He wants to get to the national championship game. He wants to win a national championship. You know. Well, you said, and some guys say that, but they don't really. But he. But why? <laughs> what, why else would you come back? And by the way, he's taken 19 credits this semester, 18 credits next semester. He's truly a student athlete. I mean, this is a guy who, who came back for all the right reasons, it would say. It's a tough major, too. He's a he's a computer science guy, so he's taking very hard classes. Well, if this whole NBA thing doesn't work out, he could be the IT guy. There you go, right? Maybe even beyond that, you know? Yeah. Sounds like he's a lot smarter than that, you know? And that's that's the world you got to go to these days. I can't even, you know, upgrade my computer, and this guy's about to <laughs> go do big things in the world if this NBA thing doesn't work out. So God bless him for that. You brought up Buddy's name, Donna. Mm-hmm. Speaking of having to shoot less, well, mm. look, Buddy can flat out shoot the ball. Anybody that's seen, you know, the orange-white scrimmage or any of the preseason games, this is exactly what he's going to do. And by the way, he might have to do it a little more than we thought early on here because Jalen Carey, Howard Washington— and Frank Howard are still a little banged up early on in the season. I, I, I'm going to venture a guess to say that I've probably seen Buddy Beheim play more than most people who have seen who have seen uh, him who uh, out, out there of Syracuse fans. I've seen him play a lot. I saw him play at JD. I saw him play when he was in prep school. I saw him, I see him play over the summer. Um, he really, really can shoot. I mean, he's got a gorgeous shooting stroke. Um, and the thing I loved about him from the games that I saw is he's a really he seems like he's a, been a very confident shooter, and I think that was maybe one of the things that he had some issues with over the course of his high school career. In that, you know, if he missed a shot or two, he would be sort of afraid to pull the trigger on another shot. His confidence level to me was the most surprising thing I saw about him the, during the scrimmage games, and and he really really can knock down jump shots. He's a very very good shooter. 
I think the year at prep school helped him a lot too, especially given what his role is going to be here, uh, no matter you know eventually when the point guards come back. But if he had spent his senior year at Janesville DeWitt High School, he would have played every minute of every game that was worth playing. And he would have scored a ton of points and taken a ton of shots. And it would have been basically the same as his junior year. He went up to Brewster. He played against great competition. He didn't play every minute of every game. So as a shooter, when you have to enter the game cold from the bench and you're expected to make a shot from 20 feet right off the bat, and the mindset aspect of it too, like, okay, now what happens when you miss that shot? You can't you know, lose your confidence because you're going to get another shot and you need to make that one. Otherwise, maybe you will come out. But you know, I, So I really think that year of prep school helped him out, um, both in terms of just playing better competition, becoming a better player, but just mentality. You guys know that Jim Beheim is not somebody who wants to show his cards on certain things if he doesn't have to. But, I mean, he's got to be thrilled he's coaching Buddy. And I would imagine he's going to ride out coaching Buddy as long as he, he can, you know, God willing and, and health willing and all that. I think he even told somebody, I can't remember if you two or Adam Zagori or somebody, like, I'm not going to leave my son there. Yeah. Which I think is funny because you live 10 minutes away, but, <laughs> you know, but you can tell, like, he's he's got to be loving that he gets to coach Buddy. I mean, how could you not? Well, yeah, I mean, and he and Buddy are very close. So, yeah, I mean, I think he I think he is going to really like it. And, and you know, he, he will say, well, I really like having him on my team because he's a good shooter when he's shooters, <laughs> which, is, which I think is also is true, true yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, but, yeah, they're, they're very close, and they've been close, you know, forever, as far as I know. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it'll be fun. I talked to a lot of guys uh, who coached their sons or played for their dads at the college level for a story of a, a little while ago. And uh, almost to a man, they all said it was a great experience. Uh, whether they are the kid was the star of the team or not, the, you know, a walk-on on the team or just somewhere in between. Uh, there there might have been some rocky moments. There were some, you know, times, same, you know, when a, you know, a coach had to bench the kid and everything. But just the overall experience by the time it was all over, both the coaches or their sons said it was just a terrific experience. And a lot of them said that, you know, they, you know, kind of – Envied, or, or uh, were looking at the Bayheim situation and, and thinking to themselves, that, you know, this is going to be a great moment in their lives. We kind of mentioned in passing, but let's uh, focus in on a few players here: uh, Pascal, Barama, and Marek. You know, Marek grew like an inch or two in the off season, so he was eating his Wheaties and getting bigger. And you know, know certainly, I don't know. If it was, I think Jim said immediately that he gained a pound from last year. Yeah, I, I don't know vertically, where, yeah. vertically, he's, he's right. grown. I think they had him on yeah. a rack. Uh, they made him taller, but they didn't add any weight. Yeah. So he's taller. Pascal and Barama appear to be on the mend, although maybe Barama's still kind of working through that. But what, what have you seen from those three so far, and, and what do you think uh, the kind of seasons they can have? Well, I mean, we haven't really seen t- too much of them getting the ball inside because I don't think they've really done too much of it in the exhibition games. I mean, what I hope happens is I hope they're better on the pick and roll. I hope Pascal and Barama actually set a screen up at the top and <laughs> they roll to the basket and they get the ball. I mean, uh, neither of those guys are particularly good screeners, which is key to the screen and roll, the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But I hope they work that play a little more this year because, I mean, really, when you lob the ball to a seven foot two guy, and that would seem to be a pretty effective play. So uh, I hope that happens this year. Um, I, you know, I think Pascal does look bigger to me and does look stronger yeah. to me. And um, from from you know what Alan Griffin has said, you know he's much improved from last year, and uh, I hope that's true. Yeah, Alan's really happy with Pascal, at least as they enter the season. I, I'm looking at Marek, 
and really intrigued as to what he'll do as a sophomore. And I know there's uh, he's out of the starting lineup for now. Elijah Hughes is the starter, and I totally get that. Um, I kind of like Moret coming off the bench, though. Um, but to watch him shoot the ball with a little bit more confidence and maybe pick up where he left off at the very end of last year when he started to play with uh, a, a little bit more confidence in himself and in his game. He would step out and knock down a 15-footer. He just, he's got great instincts for the game. He's got he incredible does. basketball IQ. So I, the more you see him on the floor, you kind of pick up the little things that he can do to help a team. And not only I think you know we've seen it in a couple of the exhibitions – He's not just going to play forward a couple minutes out of every game. He's, you're going to see him at center, which height-wise he can do, and I think it just kind of depends on whether he can withstand some of the pushing and shoving in there at whatever he is, 180 pounds. Yeah, and, and he made a three. He's, he, I, think his, I think his three-point shooting is, is – uh, I think Jimin mentioned at, at ACC Media Day that he's getting better at it. And, you know, he I think he took like eight or nine threes the entire game last year without having to look back at it. I mean, he didn't take many. Yeah, he was two he, for nine Yeah, and, for uh, all season. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, the fact that he's already taken a couple of them in the exhibitions is pretty encouraging, I yeah, think. Yeah, and he knocked down one from the corner, and it looked good, Did. too. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, geez, I'm a big guy, and they've <laughs> left me open out here. Yeah. What do I do? Um, no, he was. He got the ball in the corner, turned to, you know, and shot it with no hesitation, and it looked good. It looked a lot better than his shot looked at the, a year ago. This we put our predictions in the the season preview. Sadly, exactly. I always love getting that email yes. from uh, the one and only Jason Murray. We'll give him a shout out. But the one <laughs> thing I felt confident in in putting in that prediction was, and again, God willing, injury wise and everything, this is not a bubble team. This is a team that is expected not only to make the tournament, but could be, you know, if they really round out here, a top four seed in this tournament. So I don't want to pin you down on a record or anything. I said Sweet 16, 23 and 5, just kind of threw it out there, a five win improvement over last year. I did nail last year's record, just, you know, just throwing that out there. I did say 19 wins a year ago. In the NIT, which they did. It starts with the Red Sox, and now it's like, you know. I'm just saying. Don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back, pal. I can reach back there, too. So what are you feeling with, with this team? A, a, anyway, record, tournament, Final Four run, like what, what's the feeling with this team it, it, with a lot of basketball to be played, of course? Uh, were I think we exactly the same? We were. We played the exact same 28 and 3. 23 and 23 8. 23 and 8 record. Yeah, 23 yeah. and 8. Yeah. And I had them in the Elite Eight. Did you? I think I did, too. Yeah. So obviously I mean, we spent way too much time together. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, but, I mean what, what happens at the NCAA tournament is so impossible to predict. I mean, you have right. no idea what bracket they're going to be seated in, who they're going to be playing. They could play a crazy team that makes a ton of threes, get 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 paired with them, and, you know, something freakish could happen. You never know. I mean, that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. I, You know, I think they're going to be really good. I think, you know, sort of strangely, this whole point guard situation to me is starting to become a little bit worrisome. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you would hope that you would have a point guard in place at this point who has had some experience with the team, who has run the team during practices, because they're going to run up against a pretty good team pretty soon in, in Madison Square Garden. And you need a point guard. And you, you, you would like to have your senior starting point guard who uh, led you to the Sweet sweet 16 last year, but the fact that they don't have a point guard this at this point is pretty worrisome, I think. It is, and because of there's not a healthy point guard on the roster right now, I'm even looking at the Eastern Washington game, the opener, on Tuesday night. This is a team that returns like seven of their top eight scorers or something like that, uh, a lot of experience. They have a couple guys that set out last year that are kind of 
returners who didn't actually play last year, but they played the year before that, and they have a transfer from Brigham Young University. I mean, yes, they did lose their star player. They lost the guy that was the big sky, most valuable player of the year last year. But other than that one loss, they got a lot of experience on this team. They shoot threes. They play major college programs every year. Uh, Out west, they'll pick up a California or Oregon or Stanford. So, you know, it's the first time they're going to play Syracuse, first time in the Carrier Dome, but I think they're going to have a bunch of guys in here who aren't really going to be, you know, phased by the environment or the name Syracuse across the front of a jersey. And, yeah, you know, to take the court for the opener against a, an experienced team like that with no point guard, that's that's a little – that's dicey. That yeah, is dicey. It is. Yeah, and that's another thing. How, how do you guys feel the schedule has played out? Because now we have the quad system and – you know, Jim Beheim hinted at it a little bit when uh, ACC Media Day came around that, well, if there's going to be 20 ACC games next season, and there's going to be, mm-hmm. they're going to put a couple early on in the schedule to kind of boost up the ACC network. That could cut back on some of these intriguing pre-conference games that we have seen. But you brought it up, Donna. Connecticut's coming up next week at Madison Square Garden. and The annual run with Georgetown. The ACC Big Ten Challenge brings Ohio State this year. Buffalo is better. Saint, your St. Bonaventure Bonnies are better in a tough pre-conference run here. So whatever, Not as good as last year. Not as good as last year, but no. still a competitive team, though. Mm. So whatever issues lie there with point guards or anything else, they better start to write that ship pretty soon because there's some tough pre-conference games on the way, and, and it seems like that's been the case the past few years. It's a very good schedule. Yeah, oh yeah I think the schedule's good, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the one true road game at Ohio State helps. Neutral court games help. Because um, you can, you know, you get a little bit more of a boost in the quadrant system uh, for bit playing outside of your own arena. Uh, but even the teams they have coming in, I mean, your know, last year they just they caught lightning in a bottle too with last year's schedule, which was again it was a good schedule. But you, know, you had a lot of teams like your Colgates and your Cornells and such that had really good years. Yeah, they were for much better. Colgate's going to be good this year too. Colgate was yeah, good, a lot pretty good last year, yeah. and they're going to be good this year. Um, yeah, yeah, the thing about that, too, is I, you know, I think what Jim said at ACC Media Day was, was something that Kip Wellman had told me, too, is that, you know, with the 20 games in the ACC schedule, you know, you're going to forget about Georgetown. You're going to forget about St. John's. Forget about Villanova. They're not going to do home-and-home home with these teams anymore because why would they? You know, you have, you're adding two really good conference games against very good opponents, and why would you want to, you know, kill yourself during the preseason, the pre-conference season with – really good tough games and and to note that when the acc schedule does go to 20 and you're adding two games it's not just two games against an acc quality opponent one of them's on the road you know one of them's automatic so you're adding another road game for someone like uh, like a syracuse so yeah you're not going to lose the the colgates and cornells you're going to lose like donna said probably the georgetowns or the st john's and 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 maybe a bonaventure even because you have to schedule smartly and intelligently, yeah. in addition to like wanting to go out and play good teams. Well, last year was really that Buffalo game. The Buffalo oh, that, the that game. pushed them yep. over the edge, and that's a middle of December non-conference game. You never know where that that game's going to come from these days. I want to finish with a little recruiting talk, and I'll just toss out the name and uh, volunteers, please. Uh, who wants to handle this player? I'll, I'll and. As much as the 2018-19 season is ahead of us, there's now four commits in the class of 2019. Yeah. So I believe there's a little uh, a Francais here, right? Quincy Guerrier. Is, yeah. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. So uh, who, who wants oui, to give oui. us a scout? Oui, oui. Yeah. Who wants to give us a little scouting on, on, on Mr. Guerrier? 
Well, I am just all I know about him is he's a scorer. He's yeah. a prolific scorer. Is and, he similar uh, to O'Shea? I think a lot of people have made that comparison. Uh, I, you know, I haven't seen him play. It's Better hard for shooter me to, coming it's hard, in. It's, I haven't seen him play yeah. in person, so I have no idea. All I've seen is tape on him. Uh, tape, t- same here too. He looks like he's uh, a little bit better of an outside shooter at the same stage. Um, you know, going into his senior year than what we saw out of O'Shea. But um, I like talking to him the other day. After he committed, I was able to get a phone in his hand. And I, I said, oh, so tell me about your game. And he said, I'm a bucket getter. A bucket getter? Oh, yeah. With, with, okay. with, with no lack of self-confidence. I like it. Yeah. He, he said, I'm a bucket getter. And I was like, I laughed. Uh, so, I, but I think that is the strength of his game. I don't think it, it was a funny way of saying it, but I think he actually might be spot on. He's a really good shooter who's got the strength for a kid his age to, to get to the rim. Yeah, he's got a pretty big body for a high school kid. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of big, John Bola Jock, 6'11". Kind of been described as a project at this point, bringing the big man, certainly the, the big wingspan in the zone defense. You're always looking for a player like that. Absolutely. You know, uh, it doesn't always have to be a McDonald's All-American uh, like a Rakeem Christmas or, or somebody at, to play center at Syracuse. I mean, you, it, you look at Bai Musiketa's career. I was just going to bring him up because, yeah. exactly, that's a guy who Jim over the years has talked about how great oh. he was in that defense, and he was not a highly recruited guy. But he would go in the game at the five, and he knew exactly where to be at every moment in the zone, knew when to come up and challenge a shooter at the free throw line, and knew when to stay back. And you know, teams, their offenses, you know, they, they would be scoring at a pretty decent clip, and Jim would send in by Musiketa, and then all of a sudden you were like trying to figure out why all of a sudden the other team is eh, slower, yeah. and they weren't scoring, and the game would slow down. and because we focus on the perimeter so much in that zone. You know, the guys flying at three-point shooters and stuff. And, you know, that that's when everybody criticizes the zone. It's when the other team makes three or four threes in a row. <laughs> but all of a sudden the threes get stopped because the perimeter guys know by Musiketa was behind them. So, yeah, I think you, you take a flyer on a 6'11 guy, and, and I think that's kind of what it is. He's not, obviously not super highly rated. They also – and I talked to a few recruiting guys out there, too. There's a belief that John Bolajot could be a little bit better than his rating, which is low. And that's because last year he played through a little bit of an injury. He also played at a school that really wasn't all that good. And he has since transferred. And he's playing at Westtown School, which is the same school that produced Cameron Reddish, who's now a freshman at Duke. And they play at a much higher level. So the feeling is he'll get better coaching, better competition. And so, you know, we'll see where he is in about six months. Bryson Goodine. I have seen a ton of Bryson. Yes, that's why uh, I'm pointing at Don. Yeah, uh, Bryson. I love everything about Bryson's game. He's got he's got a, he's a smooth, smooth, effortless looking player. I mean, he can get to the rim. He can shoot the ball. He's a really good passer. Um, Six, he's four, a right? smart kid, um, and he's just a delightful young man. <laughs> that's my that's my <laughs> take that's on him. That's, that's, that's my that's my that's my that's my scouting report on Bryson Goodon. And finally, Joe Girard the third. Mike and I can take this. We took a little road trip and saw him play uh, in Glens Falls, and we saw a workout. And the story I've told a few people is that when if you walked in this gym, so Mike and I got to see Joe work out with Jimmer Fredette, of course, mm-hmm. uh, pro basketball Legends. player and legend in Glens Falls, now in China, but has certainly had some run in the NBA as well. I thought he was going to get back in the NBA this year, frankly, but you know maybe that's in the future. If you had walked in that gym and didn't know who was who, you have, would have a hard time telling the difference between the pro and the high school senior at times. Okay, now if you settle in for five minutes, Jimmer's more polished. But, mm. like, Joe can just flat out shoot the ball. I, I, to see the polish in his shot 
as a high school senior. It, it's incredible. There's a reason this kid's the all-time leading scorer in the history of New York State with a season to go, by the way. Yeah, you know, kind of like similar to taking a, a flyer on a 6'11 guy like John Bolajock. If you're going to give a scholarship to some kid um, and he could have one trait right now in today's game, I would say get a, find a shooter. You know, because the three-point shot has changed basketball at both the NBA and the college levels, and this kid can shoot. So I'm intrigued by him. The thing I like about him, two things just beyond like, oh, he can shoot. He doesn't have to have his toes on the line. He can shoot from two, three feet behind the line, and the shot doesn't change. You know, the form stays the same, uh, so it's really not hard for him. He's a well-built kid for a high school guard. Uh, the other thing I like about him, we got to see him play in one summer game, just one. And granted, the competition wasn't great. But on a night when he scored 47 points, I walked out of the gym thinking to myself, the kid can pass. <laughs> he scored 47. And, and I was like, the court vision was pretty good. Um, he was finding guys and, you know, had the ball in his hands. So I'm intrigued. Um, Don is going to disagree. She's not quite as high on Joe as I am. Um, I've also seen him play football. Right. If, you want a, if you want a football scouting report, uh, you can't let him out of the pocket. Heck of a quarterback. He's a heck of a quarterback. He's got a gun. Yeah. yeah, they won their their section title third in a row. On Saturday, he scored two touchdowns running the ball. He threw for two more. But that's the problem with him is, is when you're defending him, it's like you're so worried about the fact that he can sling it all over the field. He can run. Uh, in the game I went to, he returned two punts for touchdowns. So, you know, he's a big, tough kid, and he's a winner. So we'll see what happens when he gets here. Well, yeah, I've seen him play in the EYBL, and yeah. it's a completely different situation than he plays than, than at Glens Falls High, Falls High School. I agree with both of you. He is a very, very good shooter, and I think he's a really tough kid. And I think he's a really nice kid. Delightful. Um, delightful. Think, delightful. Yes. He was a he's delightful a, young man. He was a great kid. He was <laughs> I think he has an amazing range. Here's what I worry about with him. He's six feet tall, and... I think he needs a screen or he needs somebody to, to help him get a shot. And if I think teams are going to start playing him in college. They're going to start playing him for his jump shot. I mean, they're going to sit on him and, and on the three-point line. And can he get by anybody and make anything happen? And I think that's the thing that we'll find out once he gets here. I mean, I hope he, I hope he does. Like I said, he's a great kid. Mm -hmm. He's a tough kid. He's a winner, which I think is what Syracuse really likes about him, too. He's won everywhere he's gone. And I, I'm, I'm curious, about too, about why he didn't leave Glen Falls to go somewhere where, where he would play against better competition, because I think that, that would have helped him. Although he plays, you know, he plays in the EYBL in the summer, and those kids are all really good. So I think he's a good teammate. I think his teammates like him. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with Joe. Joe, he is a, he's a fa fabulous shooter. Yeah. I did ask him about why you know didn't leave uh, Glens Falls, uh, not to extend your podcast any further. But, uh, That's a beautiful podcast. We, we can go as for as, as long as we want. All right. Um, it's, it's such a small, close-knit community, and, the, and the, fa the Gerard family there is huge. Um, you know, he plays football with three cousins, and, and they all play uh, basketball. In fact, there's another cousin. That he, there could be five Gerards on the basketball team this winter. And that was just <laughs> what? Yeah. Awesome. What? Oh yeah. There's, there's awesome. cousins galore. Um, you know, the dad has brothers, and they all have kids. Um, and a couple of them are seniors, like Joe. And there was just such a a family dynamic there, and not just family in the euphemistic terms. Actual family, and uh, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to go off to a prep school. And he was also saying that he was hoping that he got enough out of. EYBL and Nike in the summer tour to like play competition to understand 
how his role will obviously change when he's not lighting it up for 50 a game for Glens Falls. I've got some experience going up to that area. I used to have family that lived up there, and there's something about that community. I think every community, you know, has a tight-knit feel to it in some Mm -hmm. way, but there is something about the community that draws people there and draws them back there. And just when we parachuted in for the day, Mike, we went in August— like you felt that we went and had pizza with him and you know you could see even just the family that was at this workout and just talking to him like he felt like he belonged there and and wanted to be there and didn't want to abandon would be a strong word but he wanted to be there for his football teammates in, yeah. in his senior year so I think he felt a, a real obligation for that but I think Donna brings up a fair point like with Buddy he went and challenged himself mm-hmm. beyond what was here and, and we saw the results of it so we'll have to see how that works out for Joe in the future but for now we'll have to uh, end this little uh, conversation I know we'll catch up again in the future but thank you so much for hanging with us today can't wait to read all the coverage throughout will be a very intriguing season for Syracuse basketball Mike Waters down in Detoda as always, thanks for hanging with us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks again to Mike and Donna for joining us here, and thanks to you for listening to Episode 47 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We appreciate you downloading and listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe in iTunes and Google Play so you can listen back to past episodes as well. In Episode 44, we had former Syracuse lacrosse player Mike Powell. Episode 44 with former Syracuse lacrosse player Mike Powell was a lot of fun. We certainly talked about his days in Syracuse, but he also played a couple of new songs from his new album, Shelter Without Walls. Mike is a pretty accomplished musician these days. We talked to Scott Hansen from the NFL Network in episode 41. Syracuse guy had a fascinating story to tell about his days at Syracuse. Bob Costas was a recent guest on the Syracuse Sports Podcast and so much more. So subscribe and get new episodes when they are ready, right for you. So once again, thanks for hanging out with us today on episode 47. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Brent Axe.